0: Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at HereYouAreAZ.com.
2: Welcome into episode 208 of the Modern Drummer podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Arturia. Arturia is a company that was founded in 1999 in France and specializes in the development of music software and hardware for professional and amateur musicians. Now, for you drummers out there looking to start a home studio setup, you should check out their new interface, which is called the AudioFuse 8 Pre. This is an eight-channel audio interface that has eight high-quality premium mic pre's built into it. It also is set up with um, ADAT connections, so if you want to expand your studio to have more than eight channels, you can uh, cascade two of these together, so two of the eight pre's together via the ADAT connection. Then you've got 16 superb preamps um, to mic up your drums. That should be all you need. Um, So, yeah, check it out. Go to Arturia.com and then click on the products page and look for the AudioFuse 8 pre-interface. Tons of more information there. Um, you also get access to the AudioFuse Creative Suite, which includes um, a handful of really nice compression and mic pre-emulators. So, again, go to Arturia.com. That's A-R-T-U-R-I-A dot com. A-R-T-U-R-I-A.com. Check out the AudioFuse 8 Pre interface if you're looking to get your uh, home recording studio set up. It is selling for about $800 in the U.S. Um, that's a great price to get eight premium mic pre's for 800 bucks. Do the math, $100 a piece. That's kind of uh, hard to beat. Um, get two of them. Anyway, go to Arturia.com and check out the uh, AudioFuse 8 Pre. This week's intro beat is a very unique one. It's brought to you by Ben Barry. So Ben is currently serving in the Peace Corps in Myanmar. Um, So he is away from his drum set, so he had to improvise something. Using his kit comprises a rice pot for the hi-hat. The snare drum is an Evans Apprentice pad with some paper and other things on it to give it some sound. The bass drum is a... Uh, purple bucket that he uses to hand wash his laundry and i guess he's using his flip-flop as the beater (laughs) and the uh the microphone is just a, a cheap headphones mic so very cool inventive but groovy beat check out ben barry and let's get the show rolling You know, and my ears immediately perked up like, oh my God, he's counting me off and it's weird. Let's, let's Could lock it in. you imagine counting a band
0: in like that though? Three, two, one. That would be very awkward. That no, was more like
2: three, two. End yeah, sorry.
0: Uh, that was, we were just chatting. How are you, man? I'm well. I'm doing well. It is, um, I'm coming up on a couple of days
2: off here, which would be nice. I'm going to unplug for the weekend, get together with some old friends, my oldest childhood friends that I, I really? met, um, and his name is also Mike. I met him when I was four years old, and we've been friends ever since, so it's crazy.
0: And are you guys just hanging out at home, or are you guys going somewhere to do something?
2: We go down to um, the, the beach in Delaware. And My parents have cool, a house, man. so we just overtake their house for a couple of days. We do it like twice a year. Just everyone gets together. Really? Yep. Yeah, we compare how old we're getting and <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. hurt ourselves in different ways. So yeah, it'll be fun, man. So I'm looking that forward stuff, to that. That
0: stuff just creeps up on you. You just reach down to grab something that you dropped, and you let out a noise that you haven't heard <laughs> since an old man let out that noise. Like yeah, it's well, this there's, weird. Uh, um,
2: there's a tennis court there, and I'm like, nah, I'm afraid to play because if I if I tear a shoulder or bust over. a knee, I'm I can't work. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, we don't
0: have time for that. you professional. I can't even play yeah.
2: tennis with with my friends. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, my Speaking goodness. If I could which, have visited you when you were 17 and said the biggest problem you're going to have in your early 40s is you won't be able to play tennis with your friends, you'd be <laughs> fine with it. You'd be like, yeah. That's, that's but true. I play drums for a living. The reason I can't true. play tennis is because I'm a professional drummer. Life is good. Yeah, and every time – I just got – this weekend I played uh,
2: a show with, with the Tom Petty Tribute Band, which was awesome. I got to meet um, –
0: uh, like one Mick, of our students, yeah, yeah, Mick, yeah Mick Nick Burns. That was
2: awesome. couple Couple of different people came out that I only know via podcast and online, which is awesome. But the bass player is, you know, he's a pitching coach. He he loves to play baseball, so he's always bringing a glove and a ball. Like, oh, that's
0: am, not an analogy he's an actual pitching coach yeah no he he's okay i thought you meant that as a bass player like (laughs) he's throwing signs and he's giving me signals okay he's an actual pitching coach
2: got it yeah he's into it and every time he's like let's go throw the ball i'm like no man seriously if i tear this rotator cuff which i know is probably (laughs) barely attached to my shoulder i'm done he's like come on so he was actually teaching me the mechanics of throwing with my right hand because i'm left-handed I was like, we'll "Wow, just, we'll just start baby steps. We'll just we'll just do the mechanics of how to throw."
0: <laughs> that dude just needs to get his mind off music. Apparently, wow! Yeah, I thought I was really. missing out on the gig scene, and, and everyone was like, "Oh, you know that guy? He's just a straight pitching coach." <laughs> I'm like, oh nah, damn! I haven't gigged enough to to get that lingo down. <laughs> I've never heard that oh, one. man. I was listening
2: to. I'm not going not going to mention the podcast or who it was, but I was listening to another podcast. <laughs> And I couldn't, and it was an w- interview with one of my favorite drummers of all time. And I couldn't get past the fact that the interviewer kept using jargon, like like within the, the scene, like words and terms oh. and stuff that are like you have to, it just felt like, ah, I don't want to be a bro, man. I'm out. I had to, I had to bail on it. I
3: don't want to bail be a on bro.
2: It. <laughs> I don't want to have to turn my hat
0: backwards just to listen to your podcast.
2: Yeah, it was just too many terms, like, uh oh, I feel like I'm in music school again. You know, everyone has their own like way of speaking about gives me the shivers so I hope it'll so never what, be that
0: what's uh? what's something in the gigging world can you think of something in the gigging world a term that you don't like but it's always used
2: killing everything is okay. killing everything is killing your lunch is killing your your music is killing <laughs>
0: does it have a g i'm pretty sure it's killing no one's ever got to the g everything yeah, killing <laughs> the tacos yeah. are killing your snare drum is killing <laughs> <laughs> the one i can't handle is bread
3: it's oh, just bread. called it's just
0: you know it's like no no i'll do the gig it's 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 good bread and i'm like stop <laughs> no one says that except for musicians
2: Stop! It's oh, not bread. See, I'm, I'm biting my That's... my tongue here because I could I could probably reveal the the show that drove me nuts. I don't want to do that. But yeah, there's a bunch Ugh. of those kind of terms which is like ah oh, stop it. I'm not yeah. music school anymore. I don't want to. No, we're not doing this. I'm out. It's unfortunate. So if I ever get caught up in that, please just say, hey Mike, stop saying
0: that. <laughs> well, if you ever ask me how much bread. Does teaching bring in? I'm going to stop you and say Ugh. I don't know. I, I've never been paid in a loaf of bread once. Why is it called I'd, bread? For God's sakes, I don't know. I can't do. I can't do any of those words for currency. I don't use cheddar. I don't <laughs> use cheddar. Skrilla. <laughs> oh. Anyways, moving on. Okay, so you've got some stuff coming up, right? And it's related to our snare drum review later in this podcast. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I was invited to. Um, there's a event down at Woodland Percussion in Avondale, Pennsylvania. That is sat Saturday, September 14th. That is an all day open house, and and Nikki Moon is going to be there to talk about his new cymbals and demonstrate how he how he hammers and all that stuff. Uh, I'm going to do some drum stuff. So it's just a you know casual all day hang. But I am going to be teaching some stuff down there. So if you're in the I guess that's the southeast Pennsylvania area, Avondale, Pennsylvania. I'll be at Woodland Percussion on Saturday. Looking forward to that. That'll be a nice warm-up awesome. for when I go to London um, the following Yeah, I've got week. some
0: friends yeah. that are already hitting me up saying that they're going to go see you there. So cool. Awesome. should be really cool. And I think uh, Richard Spaven actually asked uh, if he could get your contact info folks. he wants to go there and, and see you do your thing
2: dig it that's that's yeah. great because i was hoping to add a Q and A with some london pros and, and get them out there so if he wants to come up and do that that would be incredible so richard Definitely. if you're listening hit me up i'll, I'll reach out to him so cool. where Very do you cool. go where are you going you're going to the red light district <laughs> <laughs> i'm
0: not going to the red light district come on I'm gonna freak my wife out man no, uh, i'm that... going to amsterdam which happens to be a gorgeous city um <laughs> And, uh, and it's funny, I actually made a, a a little video for Instagram yesterday talking about getting ready for that. And in there, I put in some 4K clips. You know, you can download. You know how we have royalty-free music? There's mm-hmm. royalty-free video, too. Mm-hmm. So you, you can just search, like, hey, I need a royalty-free video clip, uh, a drone footage clip of going over Amsterdam. It was, like, three seconds long. But my wife saw the video, and she was like, that's Amsterdam? And I'm like, yeah. It's just like. Why didn't you? Why am I not going to Amsterdam? (laughs) Babe, I asked you to go. You said you didn't want to go. She's like, No, no, I just don't want to listen to you do your stupid speech. I want to go there. It's like, Okay, well, yes, Amsterdam's a, a gorgeous city. So I'm getting ready to go there. I'll be there on the 15th, 16th, and 17th giving a speech on the Adobe stage at IBC. And yeah, right now it's just prep. And one thing that I'm doing that's a little bit different than normal, and I mentioned it in the Instagram video, is I'm doing my speech every single day as many times as I can, but I am flooding my face with light because that was the one Uh. thing that threw me off at my Ted talk was I speaking to a crowd is no big deal, but walking out on stage and then really not being able to see anything. I mean, it's like staring into the sun for the next Mm. 30 minutes. It really kind of messed with my mind. And I found myself, my Ted talk was the first time that I found myself in trouble where I was like, okay. I'm now looking down at the monitor to see my cues from my PowerPoint. Oh, yeah. I'm just, swimming out a little your, bit. Out of your comfort zone. And I'm not used to that. Yeah. Normally when I speak, I mean, honestly, drum clinics, they just aren't set up to be speech things. So when I walk to the front of the stage, there isn't a direct spotlight on my face so I can see the crowd and I can make, it's just like we all go through with gigging where I can make a connection with the crowd in a club. It's kind of hard to do that in an arena or a stadium or, well, I've never played a stadium, but in a bigger show where you can't see anyone's face and I feel the same thing public speaking wise, if I can see your face, it's somewhere between stand up and motivational. Like it's, I'm connecting with someone, but when it's just a bright light, it's a little disorienting. I mean, it's the reason why you know, the cops flash a bright light in your face when they pull you over They get you off your game. And so I'm just doing that to myself on purpose. But the thing that sucks is after doing that speech, which is a full 30 minutes, then for the next hour, I can't really see anything.
2: Mm, yeah, true. Because I'm
0: putting a, I'm doing this like I have the brightest LED light imaginable just right in my face. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, if I can stay on my toes with this. And it, it's the same thing as anything with drumming. I'm just over-training so that when the moment comes, it's easier than what I've prepared for.
2: Now, you're doing this in your studio exclusively, or are
0: you trying it in different rooms too? So it's right now, it's just my studio and then the car. Every car okay. ride is, and it's out loud. And I'm recording it. And I'm not allowing myself to really stop. And I'm making sure that I can do this with only an outline of visual cues. But there's no – I don't want to have any memorized words. I have Mm -hmm. the first 15 seconds, the first two sentences 100% memorized and the last 15 seconds 100% memorized. Because those are the only two things anyone's going to really remember and I'm not going to leave those up to chance. Um, Man. I mean,
2: that's – that 's cool i mean i i 'm really curious to hear how it feels coming back like compared to a drum clinic and cause that's, that's yeah. it feels like it 's more like you're you 're an actor at this point like it 's a very different thing for sure production. so
0: and even on a confidence level because this podcast has dealt with confidence so much over the years. There is a confidence level that I have when I do drum festivals, knowing that the people that are on the festival with me, besides the exception of Benny Greb and a few others, they're not natural speakers. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing public speaking in the, in the mix of people that aren't p- professional public speakers. Yeah. This definitely feels like I am a drummer that has to do public speaking. In the in the mix of all professional speakers, it's where like politicians and stuff in there, yes, yeah, <laughs> and professional and literally professional actors. And I was going through the list and I was like, "Vice president of YouTube, what?" Like, and I'm waiting for the next thing, like vice president of operations of graphic design of operations of graphical operational design. But it was oh, just yeah. like vice president of. YouTube. I was like, what? Oh God. And then like, (laughs) you can just see that they've had like that PowerPoint clicker sewn into their left hand. It's just part of them. It's like, Oh God. So anyways, uh, but in all honesty, I'm really excited to bring that. Hey, you've just sat through a ton of people that are on autopilot. I'm going in. Like I, I want this moment to inspire you. My goal, by the way, like of the entire speech is, can I inspire people to take a chance on themselves and begin to make a career out of their passion. Mm. that's the goal of this whole thing and so I feel quite confident that I will be delivering something that changes their day when they get home and that's really all I want to do. So that part's been really cool um, And then oh the other thing is, speaking of what you were talking about with Mr. Spaven mm-hmm. uh, I reached out to him after our interview or I mean after our podcast last week and just asked him, "Hey man, can you send me a quick audio response?" On how you get your sound, because Mike and I were discussing how unique it is that you get a very organic drum sound, but yet it mixes perfectly with electronic music. And I was curious does that come from his touch? Does it come from his tuning? Does it come from his choice of gear? Because I'm looking at his gear going, it's a Yamaha Maple Custom, and it's dang near the exact same symbols I'm playing why does it work so great with electronic music? So Mm -hmm. uh, he actually was kind enough to send us an audio response. So this is our first ever pro drummer (laughs) audio response to one of our questions.
1: Dig it. We're turning into an interview show. Here we go. Here's Richard's answer. Hello, Michael. Mike, it's Richard Spavin. Thanks for having me on. I'm just replying to your question, um, which was a good one. A question of sound, as you put it. Um, My sound being an acoustic drum sound, Um, often in an electronic setting. And it's a combination, I think, of touch and the instrument itself, but also the the sizes. I'm very committed to playing an 18-inch bass drum, and I can relate that to all of the the kind of great era of breaks and samples. Um, A lot of hip-hop samples were made from drummers playing higher tuned smaller sizes so i do relate my sound to that and that's kind of a way in for me sonically to make acoustic drums fit in an electronic setting hope that answers the question again thanks for having me on and um, i'll catch you all soon thanks very much
2: well simple you want to sound like richard spavin get an 18 inch bass drum done deal done
0: done (laughs) i honestly feel smarter after listening to that guy say anything i know he could say anything he say it's all about uh what you eat for breakfast (laughs) yep that's what it is i'm going to change what i eat for breakfast so that's a a great point though is even though you might be listening to modern music that modern music might be using samples from the 60s or 70s -hmm. that and you have to think back to the time that they borrowed that sound from
2: yeah, I think that's something I'm constantly reminding myself when I'm recording because you, know, you kind of get caught up in the fidelity of everything and you forget those things were probably recorded with one mic, maybe two. So yeah. it's like I have to at times think, well, what does the actual snare drum sound on that Al Green track really sound like? We know what we think it sounds like because we have right. this this image of this super fat, gushy snare sound. But if you listen to the actual track, it's kind of papery. Probably because there yeah. was just a mic on the side of the snare drum. And I'm yeah. always having to remind myself like don't go hyper detailed, exaggerated with everything. Like actually listen to the sounds you're trying to produce and then right. you know use the least amount of microphones or, or the simplest gear that you
0: need. Um, that's cool. Not to mention how hard it is to figure out what do the drums if you can't find stems what do the drums sound like without the guitars bass and vocals because if you're trying to get your drum to match a drum that's sitting in a mix you don't know how much of that drum is being affected by the mid-range frequencies of the guitar totally. or yeah. the low end frequencies of the bass and where they had to make that where they had to make eq concessions to make the snare drum sit perfectly like mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that the snare drum actually sounded anything like that by itself yeah um yeah, it's it's a tough thing. But I, I think that from watching Richard and I had a drum buddy come over yesterday and he just stopped by the studio. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I asked him, I said, do you know Richard Spaven?" And he's like, I've never heard of Richard Spavin. And I was like, oh, my. God. And you know how excited we all get when we get to introduce someone mm-hmm. else to somebody. I'm like, oh, my God, sit down. This is going to be incredible. And we were watching him. and And my buddy is a professional drummer and we started picking it apart and so much of it was touch Mm -hmm. you know we kept like oh look how he's doing that look how he's holding the stick look how he's pulling off the because i was like i own those hi-hats they don't sound anything like that (laughs) but i can also tell that he didn't do any affecting with the mix like that is a i mean he has a very natural mix for his drum set yeah yeah and I think that's also why Richard's stuff translates <clears> to <throat> clinics and drum festivals is because nobody has to do anything at the board. That's what his drum set sounds like. It's just the way he plays it. So you know what uh, sticks he uses. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Whatever below seven A's. <laughs> Are they really do Toothpicks with tip. No, I, <laughs> it just sounds like it. I mean, that's what I think is incredible about his playing. I don't remember them being anything weird. I know he's a Vic Firth artist, but they weren't overly thin or overly light. Yeah, um, interesting. Cause yeah. I
2: was um, I was just testing some cymbals a couple of weeks ago, and I had to go through like a handful of sticks before I found the right stick for that cymbal. It was really. I n- usually don't care. I'm like, whatever. It's a five A. I'll I'll use it. But to get, I felt like to get the actual sound I was hearing that the cymbal could produce, I needed to explore. And I found, wow, you know, actually, the stick that worked was the Holman uh, signature stick, really? which is a really th- long but skinny stick. And on this thin, jazzy ride, it was like, it brought out ex- all the cool, everything I wanted this ride cymbal to have. It was a totally different sound. I mean, it was shockingly different than when I just use a regular 5A. And I don't wow. normally care that much. It was
0: kind of weird. Just
2: made me think, wonder well, th- what sticks he's playing.
0: I think that's a perfect segue into our educational section about Zimbabwean music. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get into it. Let's get into some education. We are talking about the current issue of Modern Drummer. There's an article by Mr. Mark Powers. If you guys don't know Mark, he's a fantastic educator. I've known him for a very long time. And it seemed he was one of the first YouTube rival- rivals that I had. Oh, yeah? That was incredibly cool. Okay, And immediately squashed in, Like He was like, oh, you're we're doing the same thing. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And then... <laughs> He was like, I love your stuff. And I was like, and? And then he was just cool. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. You mean he wasn't a member of the linear drumming police? Oh, my goodness. You better mention Chafee. you <laughs> mention Chafee. Like, good God. What do you need me to do? Tattoo Gary Chafee's face on my calf again? I don't need it on both calves. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> you could take that Oh, I
2: poked a, a sore spot. <laughs>
0: basement dweller no okay so let's move on anyways during that time of the internet being particularly nasty mark was one of the good guys and still is like i said fantastic educator just a good guy and so he wrote an article analyzing some zimbabwean music and i think as soon as you hear the hear zimbabwe you might be thinking massive world grooves and i think one thing that this points out is how of course, there is an, a world groove influence here, but this stuff is incredibly funky and relative to what we consider to be funky drumming.
2: Yeah, so all I, I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce these names, um, but the album is called Shoku, S-H-O-K-O. The artist, it goes by the name Tuku, his, his full name, his first name is Oliver, his nickname is Tuku, his last name is M-T-U-K-U-D-Z-I. Uh, anyone wants to tell me how to pronounce that, I'd be happy to learn, but I'm not going to fumble it through it right now. But these are a lot of um, simple, but really kind of funky and hypnotic kind of beats. Um, yeah. I think we should probably just listen to a couple of them and then talk about what we're kind of hearing and feeling. So the first track on this record is called, <laughs> uh, how would you say this? Zongoza Muto? (laughs) Yeah, with a silent B at the beginning. All right, let's check it out.
0: and just right away what is cool to me about that groove is how how insanely syncopated a four on the floor groove can be because of a displaced snare and a displaced open hi-hat yep yep so that's four on the
2: floor yeah four on the floor and the kick is hit on the end of one and the end i mean the snare is hitting on the end of one and the end of three on paper, it looks super easy and basic, but it sounds really funky. And also, that our rhythm is really cool right. too.
0: It was also it was almost Spavenesque, where I was like looking at the sheet music and listening, and going, "Nope, no, that can't be." <laughs> yeah. uh, and then it's, it was like, "Okay, identify the kick. That's the pulse." <laughs> Just stop being thrown off by that snare and that open hi hat. Really cool stuff, though. And I, I, also, the hi-hat pattern is super hip on this one. You've got 1-E, a 2-E, and a, a 4-E, and a 1-E, a 2-E, and a, a 4-E, and a 1-E, a 2-E, and a, a 4-E, and a a, super cool syncopation there. And then in some of those breaks, you're filling that in with a snare note. And then on the uh of 2, you've got this open hi-hat, 1-E, a 2-E, and uh. So really, really hip stuff. You want to take a listen to the next one? Yeah, the next one... um track two. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what he has in the notation is actually just one bar that happens. It was that little break beat, or not break beat, but that little break on the fourth bar that happens at eleven seconds. So right away, this sounds like American funk drumming, but there's a different texture, a different timbre, and they play the drum set different than an American funk drummer.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's it's it would be hard for us to pinpoint you know, was this around before funk or were they, cause this album came out in the nineties or are they heavily influenced by funk and then just reinterpret it through their own lens. Right. Um, but there's definitely some, I hear like, um, like Paul Simon probably grabbed some of his yes, stuff from totally. this talking heads. We're probably checking mm. out some of this, this stuff. Um, yeah, it's just for me, it's so distinctly different than what we think of West African drumming because, right. uh, we're talking—Zimbabwe is like Southeast Africa. So it's just a totally different feel. Um, so for me, mm-hmm. it's it's familiar because I, I listen to a lot of Talking Heads and Paul Simon and and funk, but there's still something else there that I've never heard before. I think it's the guitar more than anything. I'm really kind of fascinated by the guitar.
0: Yeah, and I think also you can hear that, that lope that's happening— That's definitely between swung and straight. It's not quantized straight. It's not a shuffle swing. It's just got something... Okay, I have a notation question for you based off of that example before we move forward. Yep. This is something that has never been a rule in notation, and some people either do it and some people don't. When you have an open hi-hat, do you also notate when you think that hi-hat should close the way that Mark's doing on beat four? For me,
2: the general rule of thumb is... It stays open until there's another note that would force it to be closed.
0: Right. So, So, okay. So, um, got it. And so, in this case, he's got it closing on the downbeat of four, which one thing that that would help me with is realizing that it is sustaining from the E of three longer than just a single 16th note.
2: Yeah, we would notate that with a 16th note followed by the foot closing it on the and. That's how we would notate it gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, that's okay. just our general rule is if, if you, you just hold it open as long as the length of that note until there's another hi-hat that would force it to be closed that's right. the way
0: we approach it beautiful alright moving on to you want to pronounce this one? Um, Bufu let's <laughs> give it a shot
2: this one's in 12.8 I like that this is a really cool groove awesome. Yeah, simple. I mean,
0: if you've never done that before, that's weird. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. By the way, I do want to make it clear that we are not laughing at these song titles or at this genre of music. We're actually. Completely impressed by it. We're laughing at how stupid we are um, that yeah. we can't pronounce any of these names. Definitely Just want to make sure that that's, that's my clear. Own
2: ignorance. That's
0: hundred um, percent. So with that, I think you have to get used to feeling a larger phrase of twelve eight because it's so easy to interpret that whole thing as three, one, two, three, one, two, three, yeah, one, true. two, three, and then you're in this cycle. But then when the vocals come in on different parts, you can feel that they are stretching that three over the course of 12 eighth notes or even 24 eighth notes. And so it's a longer phrase. And that stuff used to always throw me off. When I would hear the band come in, I'd go, got it. It's just ding, chicka, ding, ding, chicka, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. And then the vocals would come in and they don't sing like that. They Mm -hmm. sing over the whole darn phrase and it just keeps on going. I'm like, oh my God, I don't (laughs) know where one is. Uh, So yeah, so even if you're playing something that is so simple to feel, you still have to feel what is the phrase what's the longer phrase i feel this rhythm but this rhythm is inside of something much bigger yeah i think if you're only thinking
2: it in small groups of three you're always resetting mentally you don't get a chance to actually flow with it totally yep totally agree all right let's do another one this one's called baba
0: Okay, so another one where if you didn't know the time signature, you might think four on the floor. Yeah, this one. But it's, it's hard six for on me the floor. <laughs>
2: yeah, this one's hard for me to hear. So the snare, even though it may not sound like it, is playing. If you think of 12 8 as four four grouped in a triplet feel, right? Okay. So then the snare is on two. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Nine, 10, so it'd 11, be on. 12. Four and ten. <laughs> yes. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, 1, 2, right? 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. But nine, that bass drum really sounds like it should be the pulse, but it's not. It's a 3 over. It, I guess the whole polyrhythm is 6 against Oof. 2. Yeah. 1, 2, 3, exactly. 4, 5, 6, 7,
0: 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> Look at you. Good job, man. <laughs> I didn't even dare attempt that. Well done. (laughs) Nailed it. You can, that's a walk off. You can just, I'll, I'll finish up the podcast, man. You deserved it. Take lunch. (laughs) All right. So I think really for all of you that are listening right now, check this stuff out and just check out this album. So once again, the album is, is the album Shoko? Yes. S H O K O is the album. And the
2: artist is Oliver Tuku. Um, M T U K U D Z I. I really wish I could pronounce it, but I can't even guess.
0: And I think that you're nailing it on the head. Like right when you hear any of these songs, you instantly hear Paul Simon when he put out it. What what album was super influenced? Was it Graceland? Um, Graceland or Rhythm of the Saints? Oh, that would have been preserved. yeah, Graceland probably. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then there for a time that influenced so many people because I remember seeing. My idols, like Phil Collins and definitely Peter Gabriel, start doing concerts in West Africa mm-hmm. and in Africa in general. And they would, the whole stage was only African musicians. Yep. They were playing. So all of a sudden, you've got In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, but Yusu Nadur is doing backup vocals. Yep. Then he ends up on Peter's actual albums. <laughs> and, you know, and then you've got other drummer. I'm like, I know that drummer, but I've never seen him dress like that before. <laughs> and it, like, there's this huge influence going on. And it was really cool stuff, but especially that guitar tone. I mean, that guitar tone and that playing sounds like it's lifted straight off of a Paul Simon record. Yeah. But we know that this came first. So uh, very cool influence. So I'm glad that Mark was able to shine some light on this and get us to re- revisit some influence from our past. Really cool stuff. Amazing. So
2: um, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Arturia, for uh, sponsoring this episode. And go to Arturia.com. Check out the new um, AudioFuse 8 Pre interface. This is an 8-channel audio interface that can be expanded. You can add uh, multiple. You can get two of these together, and you have 16 really high-quality mic preamps. The price for just one of the units is $800 US, so you're essentially paying $100 per mic pre, which is hard to beat for the quality that you're getting with this unit. Um, Also, um, they offer some, they call it the AudioFuse Creative Suite, which is a really cool, um, some plugins that you get with this, including the Tried A preamp, the 1973 Pre, the V76 Pre, Essentially, these are vintage style um, compressor uh, mic preamp emulators that come uh, included with the interface. So, go to again, go to arturia.com, check out the products link, and then dig into the AudioFuse 8 Pre. Uh, if you're looking to set up a home studio or maybe upgrade or try something different, this AudioFuse 8 Pre
0: could a, be a great place to start with your setup. All right, now to somebody that has spent uh well their lifetime studying drums, but their lifetime and his lifetime is very short so far. Sixteen <laughs> year old phenom. Now being an amazing drummer at sixteen doesn't really blow me away anymore because we have the internet, I've seen it. Yeah. Being this musically mature at sixteen yeah uh, i'm a struggling concept. yeah yeah i'm struggling to handle that and i to be honest before we actually did the research for this uh by the way we're speaking about jd beck i actually didn't know he was that young i thought he was like maybe early 20s just because i can't my brain can't wrap itself around how advanced his playing is and his concepts are there's no way that he's 16 yeah yeah he's kind of one of those anomalies that just falls out of the sky i think every every generation
2: you get get someone who just is like wow you are fully formed you're 16 years old you can only go where are you going to go from here <laughs> you know like
3: yeah.
2: you've already got a concept so either you just abandon that and go a totally different direction or it just keeps evolving into this thing and i could speak uh, first time i heard him it was one of those experiences where i'm like okay i'm i'm old i don't get it i don't know what's happening here <laughs> drumming has has <laughs> has gone beyond me i don't know what's happening
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm old i love it Uh, yeah i mean jd is definitely on the on the forefront of all of modern drumming for sure but it's 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 those musical choices that he makes that always take me by surprise where i'm like good god like obviously the kid can rip all day long but when he plays to music that's when i just freak out a little bit if you guys haven't seen JD Beck play yet uh, hopefully you will go check him out on Instagram or YouTube but let's drop in some audio just so that you guys can hear what we're talking about this is him doing one of the VF jams Uh, my goodness 145,000 views Mm -hmm. and this was published in March what a stud (laughs)
2: taken under the wing of, of Sputt of Snarky Puppy as well as Mike Mitchell, um, Cleon Edwards of Erica Badu's band so he's had a lot of of good mentorship down in his hometown in Dallas so I think they have obviously have kind of helped him go in the right, make all the right moves but ultimately he doesn't sound like any of those guys so that's the really no. shockingly awesome part to me
0: yeah I think you can just, he's dripping with art you know what I mean like his look, his personal style, his uh, his approach to the instrument—it's all just style. And you can tell that, with or without endorsements, he's gonna get that sound. Like he will take the cheapest drum set and the cheapest set of cymbals and find anything around the house until he can get the sound that's stuck in his head. And that's, I think, what drew me to him in the first place was it—you whether you saw him just sitting in on a gig or playing at home. It wasn't about the miking techniques. It wasn't about how to make it stellar. It was like, this this is happening. Capture it any way you want, and it's still going to be amazing. Uh, his technique is quite incredible. And the other thing is he looks so relaxed when he's playing. Yeah. And he's also got that,
2: I mean, it's going to sound disparaging, but he's got that kind of childlike innocence about it, too. It's like he's just, mm-hmm. he's just playing. I don't think he really even completely understands how kind of sophisticated his concept is yet. And right. it, I think it also helps that he's found an, a perfect partner for his project.
0: She, I mean, the, she's she's as incredible on the keys as he is on the drums. Yeah, her her
2: rhythmic awareness is
0: so far advanced,
2: probably most people. It's it's insane. She put up a post. Um, she transcribed a John Coltrane solo and played along to the record. Did you see that? No. Yeah, and she's and it was you know silly because she's in a i think she's sitting in a bathroom on the floor and playing i mean it's like note for note 100 percent perfect transcription along with the record so she's got an awareness of music and and rhythm that's so sophisticated i think that allows you know him to be super comfortable to just try stuff because sometimes the phrasing is accurate sometimes it's rubbery but it doesn't matter because they're
0: they're so locked in right amazing now is he doing stuff other than that? Because I've seen some posts where I, it looked like he was on a large stage playing with a band. So I don't know what else he's up to. Um, but I can't imagine that he won't be a fixture in our industry for a very long time. Um, I, and, think, I think the two of them have been sitting in with you know, everyone on that
2: scene. Okay. So they Got it. You know, they, as a pair, they kind of just join in on these different
0: projects. I, I love just getting into this stuff because Instagram always forgets to tell us. Unless they speak to a camera, they don't tell us where these people are from. Yeah, right? I, yeah, I, I just reached out to another Insta stud that uh, we were talking to, and he finally spoke to a camera. And I'm like, you're from America? And he's like, bro, I'm from Boston. And I was like, What? you have to be from the UK. I've always, his name is Joel. And I was like, Joel, I've I've always thought you were from the UK. He's like, no man, from Boston. And same (laughs) with JD Beck. Like I just couldn't handle how good he was. So I was like, well, he's, he's clearly from, a random country where they just don't have TV or magazines <laughs> and he's just sat in a room his whole life and practiced. Because I can't handle that he's from Texas and had access to the outside world and still got this good. Well, Dallas uh, is, a,
2: is a special scene that I think, um, if you're not aware of it, you wouldn't ever pay attention. But when I was on the road and I played a show there, at the at the club where we played, afterwards there was a jam. And it was like everybody came out for that jam session. I mean, it was it was dozens of musicians it was it was kind of shocking i was like wow this is a community that i wish i was a part of like every drummer in town was there and everybody was there and it was a party And they went all night and we ended at like 11 and they didn't even start
0: the jam until like 1 a.m and it just went (laughs) and went and went (laughs) it was insane (laughs) love it love it well if you guys want to check out more jd beck obviously you can find him on instagram i love following his channel because he he never runs out of ideas Absolutely. Just constant inspiration. Like I said, the technique is there, the fundamentals are there and the attitude is there. And I think he'll be awesome for music. I was talking to Sput uh, when we were in Ireland about who's going to be the Herbie Hancocks of a younger generation. We we're talking about Jacob Collier. Mm. I was saying at some point, the news, whether it's UK news, American media, they will need to ask a musician a question and that musician has to speak up for everybody. And in the past we've had Quincy Jones, we've had Herbie Hancock. Mm-hmm. Like Herbie Hancock is the guy that if he answers any question about drumming, you and I are totally okay with it. We never yeah, go like, her. Why the heck did they go to Herbie? It's like it's fine. It's <laughs> Herbie. He's played with Tony, he's played with everybody played with Vinny. Yes eventually we need a new person like that. And I feel like Jacob Collier might be that 10 or 15 years from now Mm. because he's such a freak musician, but he's so well-spoken that it's like, okay, you're as good at my instrument as I am, but you don't play my instrument. I'm okay with it. It's fine. (laughs) And I feel like people like JD Beck can be part of that scene of the young crew that's playing with the other virtuosos. Uh, And it's just a weird thing. It reminds me a lot actually of, Tony being young playing with Miles and Herbie where yeah. it's okay that you're good at that age I get it but that you're this musically mature yeah. that's kind of what sets you apart and
2: I I really love that it's, it's somewhat polarizing like you, yes. Do you get it or you don't? Well, that's – think about Alvin Jones. I mean, how many how many decades did he have to put up with people saying that he, he wasn't a good drummer? It, but now it's like, well, no, he was the jazz drummer. He could
0: have defined <laughs> the
2: language of modern jazz.
0: I mean, <laughs> that's not what I meant. It was, yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. All right. So check out J.D. Beck. You can find him. Uh, there's a full article in the current issue of Modern Drummer. You can find him on Vic Firth's VF Jam stuff, and you can also find him on Instagram. You ready to get into some candy?
2: Yeah, so we're going to check out. I mentioned in the beginning that I'm going down to Woodland Percussion Shop in Pennsylvania to do a clinic. And they, uh, not only do they have a storefront, but they also build their own drums. Drum sets, snare drums, percussion instruments, shakers, all kinds of cool stuff. So they sent us two of what they call the Blackout Birch Series snares. These are thick stave shell snares uh, made of all, um, I believe they're all locally harvested birch all handmade um one of them was five by 13 the other one was six by 14 the six by 14 is i think it's an inch thick i mean these were thick what three quarters of an inch so the six by 14 is three Dang. quarters of an inch thick while the five by 13 is a half inch thick both stave shell both birch uh, both with um pretty sharp bearing edges so it was you know otherwise identical drums just one was a quarter inch thicker than the other and they're all black would you like to give them a
0: listen (laughs) 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 yeah which one do you want to hear first I want to hear the 13 all right So as you know from the stave hater chronicles, not a fan of stave drums. I might need that 13. <laughs> I don't know if they could knock 10 off of list for me, but uh, I might need that drum. I really like that. And
2: it, 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 by all definitions it is it is what you shouldn't like. It's a
0: thick stave shell with really exactly. sharp edges. And birch.
2: And it's birch. It's like <laughs>
0: hey can you make a drum out of the wood that I don't like but make it in the very specific way I don't like (laughs) but even though some guys make that really well could you make it worse than that by making it super thick thank you so much what it It sounds fantastic yeah (sighs) that was
2: one of those drums where um, I I was playing it I'm like it sounds good everything's cool but it had like nothing that was blowing me away until I listened back I'm like wait a minute I don't have to mix this thing at all no that's what I was freaking out about
0: (laughs) I, I will say this, you know, the snare that I've worked for the last three years on with Gretsch, that snare right there does everything that my snare doesn't do. Mm. And that's why I'm like, you know what? That would be an awesome addition to the collection. Cause that's what my snare can't do. It just doesn't, whatever that was. Yeah. I don't know. It was almost like, that's the snare that should be sent to JD Beck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just like Cause like all he could stack. just crank it. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it's just, it's right there. It's right in your face. And Most drums don't do that well with the snares being cranked as high as you crank them Mm -hmm. through the middle of that. Uh, When you went to super tight, I was like, all right, this is just going to choke out in the drum, and you're going to get weird overtones, and it it sounded like a sample.
2: Yeah, this is one of those drums where I don't think you could overplay it. I think that you would probably bend the hoop before the the (laughs) drum would cry for
0: mercy. (laughs) Okay, now, did you notice any major difference between that and the 14? Uh you know not really i kind of i think
2: i preferred the 13 but okay i i think that extra thickness in the shell just worked well with the bigger size drum it just kind of felt parallel to me all right well let's give
0: the 14 a listen uh the character it makes no sense there's no reason that that drum should sound like that yeah you must have just played some really crappy stave drums <laughs> bro i've played some of the best stave drums in the world you know that our boy jefferson sent me a whole slew of them before he made mine i'm telling you that's not maybe it's just the dryness of it i'm not used to it being that yeah, dry it's
2: different i mean i think with jefferson he's trying to make a all around beautiful sounding snare drum right whereas with alan at woodland percussion he's trying to make drums that sound like gunshots i mean that's that's the goal is to make them sound dense yeah. and thick and have no extra stuff it just does what it's supposed to do Very yeah powerful, i just i kind of feel like
0: that might be one of those drums where if i played it at camp my campers would go eh, and then if they heard the recording they'd be like no way that's exactly There's no way that's, that's that drum that's I 100%. Feel like, yeah. Okay. It yeah. was one of those shows yeah, where I'm like,
2: ah, you know, I'm um, I can send it back. It's cool. It sounds good, but then I listen to it and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what? <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> this is, is ready to be recorded, which again is why Birch I think is so popular for recording. It just you don't have to touch it. It just sounds yeah. good. It just doesn't it doesn't make for the most amazing playing experience. I think that's kind All of right. the men- the the mental game that I have to remind myself is Yeah. I'm not getting it's all the same, extra wolfiness, but that's all the stuff that you would have to EQ and, and There is nothing kind of
0: fun about playing a Yamaha recording custom except for listening to the recording that you just did yeah. with the recording custom <laughs> playing it sucks it's like <laughs> ah, it hurts like a tennis elbow broke my wrist and then you go listen back and you're like what the heck <laughs> yeah. and then you ask them what plugins are you using they're like oh no those are the raw files i haven't touched this thing yet and yeah. you go okay and i feel like that drum has that same thing where it's like i can hear from the recording that wouldn't have been the most blow your socks off drum to play in the moment because you kind of feel like, eh, it's not doing anything. But honestly, even when we're uh, back in Ireland, when you hear Ash's drum set in the room, the way he tunes mm-hmm. four microphones, you go, dude, <laughs> <Kind of squatty. laughs> why would you yeah. do that to Gretch? Like, <laughs> they put so much work into making beautiful drums. Why would you tune them like that? And then you go listen to the recording, and he knows how to tune drums for a microphone. And it sounds like that drum is doing that thing.
2: Yeah, totally. So if, you're, if you like the way those sound, um, that is... No processing. The only thing I had to do was just basic uh, l- uh, limiting, just to get the level at a consistent spot. But I didn't awesome. EQ anything out. I didn't have to do. Anything. I had to enhance the attack with compression in any way, shape, or form. That's two overheads and a bass drum mic, and that's what those drums sound like. So go awesome. to Woodland Percussion. Um, you can come down to the shop next week, uh, or you can go to their website order these. These are these are like a catalog item, so he can he can build them out pretty quickly if you want to get one. The price is shockingly affordable so the five is six hundred and seventy nine dollars and 99 cents and the 14 is seven hundred and forty nine dollars and 99 cents so the 13 is under 700 bucks the 14 is under 750 yeah and they make full kits too yeah the kits are great too yeah it's 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 very cool and it just looks cool that flat black with the black metal hardware it's it's pretty cool
0: looking it's always a win all right everybody let's get into some listener questions Our first question is from Kelvin Um,
2: I play in church band And recently we had a new pianist join He studied music in college During practice he and the guitarist will discuss music theory a little He says I have a good feel So I think I'm doing fine But I have a few questions One um, I don't think it is necessary But will understanding music theory help a drummer And two Are there music theory elements specific to drumming or rhythm Kelvin's been playing drums for about
0: four years Okay, so I think that, first of all, most of us as drummers think that music theory would be—we we put that into melodic theory, and that's mm-hmm. what we call music theory. And then we don't realize that rhythm theory is part of music theory. Yep. So, yeah, there's tons of music theory that is relative to drummers, and every instrument has to learn it because rhythmic theory, it, it's just rhythm. It's not for drummers. It's—I think that— Maybe his question might be more geared towards, is there any reason that I have to learn the melodic side of things? Mm -hmm. And maybe we can start there.
2: Yeah, I would say, to I think a a basic understanding of chord relationships, chord scale relationships and key signatures is going to help. Because if he says, the song's in the key of C and we're going to go to the five chord in the bridge or, I mean, whatever it may be, it's just, it, it doesn't hurt to know what he's talking about. Um, right. And then also, maybe he's talking about that section where we go to the minor chord. Well, if you know what a minor chord sounds like, then you know the section of the song he's talking about. So I think understanding basic major and minor chords, basic major scale theory... So essentially, like, the, the first semester of a, of a music theory course would probably set you off. Just enough to be able to understand the lingo. If they're talking about, like, augmented, f- diminished fifths and all you know, all that, that college stuff, no, you don't need any of that. But to know, you know, basic chord progression, what's a one chord, what's a four chord, what's a five chord, what's a minor six chord. I mean, that's going to be the bulk of what you're dealing with. I don't think it could hurt. And
0: plus, you're yeah, going to start I to
2: hear the music in a in a more musical way rather than just beats and fills which is always and good. it's
0: the same as what you are expecting out of your musicians which is i expect that if i say we're going to hit this the stab on the e of three that you know what that is so yeah. if i'm expecting them to know what that is i don't mind that they're expecting me to know the difference between minor and major
2: yeah and i guess that we we kind of skirted over the point that you absolutely should understand rhythmic theory like you, you should yes know what the that's e, just a no no-brainer e
0: yeah <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> Just in case we weren't clear, at no point do you get out of that. Yeah, So, and I think you get all of
2: that rhythm theory if you just study through a basic reading book, a snare drum book, Alfred Method, or any kind of a snare drum reading book. You're going to get all that yeah. rhythm theory within that. That's about as far as I would go. But, you know, get a bass guitar. Learn some bass lines. You will be shocked at how much it, it opens up your perspective and allows you to... Experience playing the music on a a more macro level, rather than thinking I got to play this beat four times and then I got to play this beat two times. If you know why, because the chord goes to a different spot, you don't have to count anymore. Helps me a lot, at least. Okay, let's go to um, this is one we don't have an answer, but maybe someone out there will. This is um, from Ian. I'm looking for recommendations for customizing a drum. I retired from 20 years in law enforcement and have all my badges, patches, and pins from my time. I'd like to find someone that could inlay these items into a snare drum rather than just hang them in a frame on the wall. Outlaw. Outlaw. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, Outlaw Drums. That's uh, Michael Outlaw. He could probably do
0: something really cool for you. Yeah, I know. I think it was Johnny Ligon, uh, one of our campers. I'm pretty sure that's who it was that had his dad's medals put on a snare drum.
2: Oh, that's right. There you go. Hopefully, uh, Ian, you haven't made any moves yet. This this came in a while ago, so sorry for the delay. But yeah, outlaw drums for sure.
0: It's so funny to see both of our shocked looks when we actually answer a question because we're like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to happen. We never answer the questions. So we just skirt around them. Like, oh, crap. Yeah, so do we just move suggestion. on now? Do we just do another one? How does that go? <laughs> All right, Next.
2: All right. This one is uh, from Sanivas. I'm a 17-year-old drummer from India, and I'm most likely going to study in the U.S. for my undergraduate degree. And um, it says I'm obsessed with music and drums, and it's all I think about all day, every day. Um, I do not know if I have what it takes to be a full-time musician, especially in a foreign country. Um, So was there ever a specific incident or moment in your life that made you go from – to make you – essentially make the commitment to put everything you you do into music as a full-time job? Do you have any direction or advice? Should I go to music school? Um, Should I just study something else? Should I do music on the side? So he's he's at that crossroad, that 17-year-old life decision. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and you and I have dealt with this on the podcast. We dealt with it ourselves, obviously, but we also deal with it with our private students. And that that 17-year-old senior in high school is always a tough thing because it's like, I want to encourage you to chase your dreams. I also don't want yeah. you to come back to me in four years and and tell me that I'm the reason you're homeless. Yeah. So <laughs> And I do not think that talent is the barrier here. Mm-hmm. Talent is rarely the barrier. So Sonny Voss, when you say you don't know if you think you have what it takes, I can tell you right now the fact that you told Mike in the email, I think about drums all day, every day. It's all I think about. That is what it takes. Yeah. It's not how good you are. Yeah. Prerequid already there.
2: Prerequisite is already there. I think um, this is something. I mean, you're at a different age. If, when I'm dealing with 21, like 21 to 22 year old students, I always ask the question. You know, if you can see yourself doing anything else in your life for money and be happy with that, do it. Yeah. But you're only 17, so you don't know. There's no possible way. So what I would suggest is go to music school, go 100% committed after a semester, after a year, just ask yourself, am I happy doing this? Is this really something I feel like? Because there's no shame in changing your majors. Many of my classmates have changed after that first year and right. for the better one went into forestry. I mean, it's like, but they still sure. have music and drums in their life, but you'll know after that first year, because that's, that's the make or break. The demands of yeah. music school are so intense. You'll know, like, do I really want to kill myself for three more
0: years doing this? Or should I just <laughs> I also study think you about? have to, I think you have to th- ask yourself, how long do you have, for this thing to become real and what I mean by that is how long do you have support from your parents because making it in the drum world at 19 is not the easiest thing in the world to do but sometimes the making it part and I think of making it as paying all of your bills through your instrument And, and your life bill your life is paid for by drumming now however that happens I don't know. And and there's so many different ways. I I have quite a few friends right now that are actually moving on from the drums and they are making it, but it's because they're making it. The only way for them to make it doesn't make them happy, which is cover bands and private teaching. Mm -hmm. And so the only two things that are bringing in income are killing their soul right now. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, I can't do it anymore. And I'm like, wow, man, you're finally here. You know, car, house, life is all paid for by the drums, but... You're only playing in cover bands and teaching private students, which are two things you never wanted to do in the first place. I totally get it. Yeah, And and like you said, there's no shame in changing directions because you're not happy.
2: Yeah, the one year that I was a long-term substitute teacher, and I shifted into teaching math, and I realized, this is so much easier than teaching band. (laughs) Like I was like, wow, (laughs) if if I'm going to be a substitute teacher, why? Because I was only taking music positions, so... I would get a call every morning. If it wasn't for the middle school band director or whatever, I wouldn't take it. I was like, let me just try something else. Math? That was so much easier. It was so much less stressful. There was so much really? less of my soul being yeah. involved in it. Like, I'm just teaching algebra for, for a day. I don't have to go home and then sweat about the fact whether I conducted that piece correctly or, or if right. they learned anything about music theory. I'm just yeah. teaching algebra. So, yeah. That was really important for me to realize, okay, and it was fine because then I was able to go play my gigs and not not feel that that wrench in my soul, you know, of, yeah. oh, I've got to go teach music to kids who don't care, and then I've got to go play a cover band gig, and, and I didn't want the music to become this, this 24-hour chore. Um, so that really helped for me. I mean, I ended up never teaching math again, but it was a good year of like, oh, I could actually do something else and it'd be okay.
0: Yeah. And of else, I think the, the last thing I want to give you is just the advice that was given to me at a, about 16 or 17 as well from my dad, which was do everything that the drum industry has to offer so that you can find out what you want to do, which is I tuned drums in a studio. I was the studio tech at our local studio here. I taught drums privately. I was gigging as much as possible in paid cover bands, and I was gigging in my in my own original projects, I was recording in the studio with my original projects. So by the time that I was 19, I had kind of, I'd given everything a try and I knew, Oh, and I worked in a local drum shop called drum and guitar city. And so I knew, okay, retail is not for me, but at least I know that I'm not guessing. Mm. And I knew that session work wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy slapping on a pair of headphones and having a click in my ear. And then I couldn't get out of thinking what drummers are going to think about this recording. So I was like, okay, I don't think this is what, matt chamberlain is thinking about this is not for me and Mm -hmm. so i was able to go through all those things and then say which is the one that brings me the most happiness and then i'm going to pick that and i know that i'll be the best at that one because even when it's tough work or there's not a ton of income at least i'm happy and i'm i'm bringing joy to my life so
2: there you go good luck man that's that's you're i know that's a high anxiety stage in life but you know just follow you'll get through it i promise that yep yep cool so um it's time for picks of the week boom Um, Should I do the drum history segment first? Yeah. All right. So this is going to be relatively short because I want to just focus on one chunk of this man's amazing career. So uh, we've kind of gone through the early jazz and kind of pre-bebop. We skipped over the whole swing era. Maybe we'll come back to that. But this week I wanted to talk about Max Roach and not just for being the amazing pioneer of bebop music, but for being pioneer in drum music solo drum composition he might be the first that i can think of that rather than when it came drum solo time it became a pyrotechnics let me show you how fast and and visual i can be he actually wrote music like composed pieces that could be repeated multiple okay. times over um, and one in particular i want to drop in is is a piece he dedicated to papa joe jones called mr hi-hat so it's just him playing a solo on a pair of hi-hats with nothing else and he's done this many many times over the years and each time you'll hear there is a theme there is a repetitive there is a form but there's still improvisation involved into it but it is a piece of music that he wrote just for the hi-hat so let's just check out the whole whole piece mr (laughs) hi-hat so uh, first of all that was the one from 1994 so he was 70 years old at the time when he recorded that piece wow. um, but if you know if you just first time you hear anything okay he's just messing around with a pair of hi-hats but if you go back through his discography and check out all the different versions he's done with that piece you're going to hear the themes there's going to be a, a structure to it he's very uh, particular about repeating phrases and not just going off the rails everything is kind of architecture is very tight even though at times he kind of goes a little bit fast and furious still there's always a structure so I think if nothing else I wanted to get you um, you all curious to check out Max Roach as the solo drum composer Uh, I don't think we would be where we are now with what people are doing if it wasn't for his early, you know, he was the first person to say no the drum set is not just a timekeeper I can actually write an entire piece of music for this instrument. Right super cool he's he's, he's i think will be reaping the rewards from his his expirations for decades first and also 13 inch high head over a 14 inch bottom
0: i was gonna say he so, always did that oh really i didn't yeah. know that was i saw it in that video but i didn't know that was a normal thing and no felt top on the clutch <laughs> yeah no <felt>. stud <laughs> stud i feel like he just walked out there and they're like no sir we got you a set of hi-hats in a stand and he's like whatever and then he sat down and looked at him and he's like okay huh because I, I didn't know that that was like a Max Schroeder thing I, I could see him being like you know the bottom symbol's an inch bigger than the top one right Yeah, there's no felt on this clutch but all good I'll make it work uh, but yeah that, I mean even at that time though that's what I love about drumming is of course we have decades and decades of Max to dissect but we don't have to, like an athlete, we don't have to pinpoint when he was 35, that's when he hit his peak. It's like, we can find him when he was 70, kill him. We can find him yeah. when he was 60, kill him. And you can just hear the evolution, especially the musicality and the, the maturity go throughout their entire career. And we're lucky to have that right now with guys like Steve Gadd and Vinnie Cagliuta that are still yeah. doing it, even though they were doing it when they were 17. Yeah. I still enjoy watching both of those guys play right now. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a, t- it's a different thing, and I think f- f- what I love about Max's music the most is that it, it's it's not drumming. You know, I mean, yes, he's playing the drums, but it's, right. it's something else. And I think it, it is it's ageless because his technique can kind of fail, but it doesn't matter because he's going for an overall musical uh, yeah. experience rather than let me show you how fancy I can be. That stuff that's a young man's game. The fancy drum stuff right. It's amazing. It's exciting but there's a time limit to that stuff.
3: Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And
2: you
3: there's, know, a there's a reason why
0: Max and Elvin and, and all and Roy Haynes, so, yeah. you know, all, decades, Still, decades, decades. Yeah, and art. Um, yep. All right, well, check that out. And then my pick of the week this time is something very practical for any of you that are getting used to making your own lessons. And it is called the Whirlwind Mic Mute Push On and Off Audio Switch Pedal. So if you guys have ever made any kind of video and you've had to speak to the camera with a microphone you know how annoying it is that when you're editing you have to mute that channel of the microphone while you're playing drums so the mic mute is the pedal i've used probably for the last seven or eight years and it sits right next to my hi-hat pedal and my lapel mic plugs into that and then out of that you go to your mixing board, and it's just it just kills the signal. So every time I speak, I step on it, and every time I play drums, I step on it again, and I mute the mic that's on my lav. And so while doing that, when I go to mix my videos, it's already done. There's mm-hmm. no audio that I have to get rid of, or oh crap, I I exported it and left my lav mic on. You know, uh, yeah, which we've all done before. <laughs> yeah, so the the whirlwind mic mute pedal, it's what uh, Amber and Nate use here in the control room where we're doing their live lessons so that way their microphones are always in front of them but they're not active until they step on this pedal and it has a blue light so you do know when the pedal's on and when the pedal's off uh so they've got we have three of them here at the studio so it's called the whirlwind mic mute push on and off audio switch pedal and i'm sure you can get it on amazon i'm looking at it right now on H. it's 90 dollars. so i have a um, question a nerdy yeah. question
2: about that so i got the um one of the Audio technico lavalier mics that has yep. a, you know, the uh, the preamp is separate, so it has like an off switch. So oh, you can, okay. Like, flick it off. Yeah, which is it's cool for you know rough edits, but it's yes. still noisy. Is this yes. thing silence? Like, do you it's, still feel like there's a little bit of just noise floor you got to deal with, or, or
0: no, no, it's it's fine. I mean, there's there's definitely no signal noise when you turn it on and off. But mm-hmm. it is a stomp box, so there's just the sound. You're clearly stepping on something. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I don't step on it until I know there's going to be a cut. But when I'm doing the live stream, you can tell that I stepped on something. But there's definitely no, uh, there's no click on Loud and off. on pop. Yeah. That's, there, no, there isn't that. Yeah. And there it's, is on any of those things that have – because, I mean, you're really just turning phantom power onto the mic on exactly. and off. Yeah. This is just killing the signal. Okay, cool. I got to yeah, get one. Um, and they make different ones – The ones – this is a really rare one. The reason why I wanted to bring this up is it's kind of like an online educator slash drummer thing. Most of these mute pedals are on all the time, and then you push them to kill the signal, but it's not on or off. It's always on, then you hold it down like a cough button. Right, yeah. So that's normal. That's been in broadcasting since day one. This is – you step on it like a stomp box – It's a single pedal stomp box and a blue light comes on telling you that the microphone is active. You step on it again, the blue light's off and the microphone is killed. So beautiful. Hopefully that'll help. Whirlwind mic mute PP push on and off audio switch pedal. They could have shortened that name. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode (laughs) of the podcast. Where are we at? 208? We are 208 at the Sweet end of 208. Chicken gumbo. I hope to see some of you guys in Amsterdam, but I'll be speaking to you before then, so don't worry about it. But I'll be in the middle of a drum camp next week, so it might be a little bit of a faster episode. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Five-star
3: review. <laughs>